Hey, it's Aidan here. Just before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know about something new. It's called the Magician's Business Group. We've just opened up a Facebook group designed to help you guys as entertainers grow and improve your entertainment business. So if that is you, if you are an entertainer that wants help growing and improving your entertainment business, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash group and the magic of the internet will take you right there. Or if you're like me, have the Facebook app on your phone, open it up and search for the Magician's Business Group and you'll go straight there. Anyways, back to the episode. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Successful Mentalist podcast. The podcast designed to teach you the tips, the tricks, the methods, the strategies to improving your performances, growing your entertainment business and shifting your mindset. My name is Aidan O'Sullivan, and I'm joined by my very good friend and co-host, Mr. Ashley Green. Hello, lovely people of the internet. I'll tell you one thing, uh, one silly little thing on mine and Aidan's behalf. Uh, we forgot that in the UK, every year we have something called Firework Night, which means we have a ton of explosions from fireworks going off in the air because it happens every year. And we thought, let's record a podcast today. And it gets to night time and it's firework night. So there's plenty of fireworks. So if you hear a loud bang in the background, uh, that'll be why. But as Aidan said, he is joined by me, Mr. Ashley Green on today's podcast. But it's not just you and me doing this podcast, is it Aidan? As always, as you guys, the listeners have probably worked out by now, every so often, at the end of the month, we have a special guest. And today, we have a special guest who you might know, you might not know, but he is one incredible thinker. Can Aiden? Can you just tell the guys listening, like what this what this person has achieved? Yeah, I mean, I've got a nice big list of things here that are just phenomenal. I mean, I've got like countless achievements and awards from an academic perspective, ranging in fields from maths to physics passionate musician which uh, no it's not brian tyler just yet or billy eilish i know long-term listeners of the podcast are probably thinking oh my gosh this is amazing but no it's it's neither of those it's someone better yeah i'm going there better so he is currently studying at the top engineering school in paris but in terms of a performing career this is nuts his show, The Butterfly Effect, has been running for two years in Paris at the time of recording this and has been voted as the best magic and mentalism show in Paris and has also ranked seventh be as the be seventh best show in all of Paris this year, in 2020. Like, this is incredible in and of itself, but to top that off, he's also done a TED Talk about The Butterfly Effect itself, which is just fantastic and i'm sure we'll pick his brains on that at some point today but we should probably give a give the name out obviously you've probably seen from the episode title today we are joined by our very good friend and co-host for the day mr tahar mansour hello hey everyone nice to be here and thank you so much ashley and aiden for for having me here it's awesome that's all right well thank you for coming on like when we 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 done this podcast and we got to uh we got six months in, we were looking at the next couple of guests and we went, why have we not got this guy on already? Like, we've known him ages. Why has he not popped up and why have we not brought him on to the podcast? Because you 
have a brain that really is unlike a lot of people. The way you think about mentalism, magic, performance, and, and stuff outside of mentalism, magic, and performance, like the stuff you do is really incredible. So thank you for being here. It's a pleasure, and I hope I can help with anything and share as much as I can. <laughs> well, just before we get going, I'm looking back at my list of things that you've done, and I actually missed that you're in the runnings for what is essentially the Oscars of small theatre over in France. Yeah. It, like, where has that come from? Uh, give us a bit of background on all of this stuff. What, what about your show? Tell us everything that we need to know. Okay. I'm intrigued. Uh, okay, so uh, the show that I'm playing in Paris is called The Butterfly Fight. So I'm not playing it this year because <clears throat> COVID. <clears throat> Sorry, I said a word. Yeah, I, I don't think I have. Um, so, yeah. Um, so basically, it's called The Butterfly Effect. And it basically analyzes through an hour and a half um, how we as people in the world are sort of butterflies flapping our wings and causing tornadoes in other sides of the world. So in essence, for those who don't know, the butterfly effect is a, uh, a physical phenomenon that says that the flappings of the wings of a butterfly in Brazil can cause a tornado in Mexico. So what I... Uh, sat down and thought about is, well, what if we were the butterflies causing humongous changes in the world without even knowing? So throughout the show, uh, me and the public, we explore basically through different experiences how even the tiniest of changes can have lots of impact. And so it, it goes through psychology, through society, through mentalism, and it ends on just mysteries and miracles and life in general. So basically, yeah, that's that's the that's the theme of the show, the butterfly effect. Um, so about the small Moliere, so the prize that Aiden was talking about, uh, yeah, that that has been insane. So the first time I started playing the show was that that would be like yeah, maybe three years now. Uh, I did it the first time in my school, so in my engineering school. Uh, I've been writing it for three and a half years. And then the first time that I decided to, to play it, I was so stressed out and I had no idea that I'll be able to play it like in Paris and stuff like that. It's been really amazing. So I've been playing it in for two years now in the same theater. Uh, and they decided to nominate me for what is known as the small Moliers. So in France, we have the large Moliers, which is the equivalent of Caesars and Oscars for theaters and plays. The small Moliers is the equivalent of the Moliers, but for theaters that are smaller than 150 seats, which is most theaters in Paris. Uh, so yeah, I've been nominated in the one man category. And it's insane because it's literally the first time ever in the history of this prize that a magic or mentalism show has ever been nominated in that category. So I'm really uh, excited about that. Like whether I win or not, it's not the case. It's just been amazing. And just to be nominated is insane. Like I did not expect that. Can we just take a moment to just, just, just recap what you've said. The first time ever in the history of this award that a magic or mentalism show has been nominated. If this doesn't tell you guys what is about to be said, like the, the genius is about to pour out of this guy's brain, like, Wow. Wow. Incredible. You also work like your your regular uh, job is as a, as a soft skills trainer as well. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to start this podcast now that we've like known all about your accolades and how of an incredible person you are. Let's get into the nitty gritty and start giving the people what they came for. 
So you do soft skills training. Yeah. That's your regular, I, I, I would say, muggle job in quotation marks. <laughs> but so much of that applies to magic and mentalism. I, I know you've like helped both of us out and, and you're, you've got other things planned with like some incredible stuff. But can can you tell us a bit more about like, what's, first of all, what soft skills is? And, and then secondly, once you've explained what that is, how you can apply that to obviously magic and mentalism and, and the other bits that surround it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so like Ashley said, I'm, I'm becoming more and more of a full time uh, soft skill trainer and coach. And soft skills is basically the opposite of hard skills. What I mean by that is everything related to communication, uh, public speaking, uh, management of people and stuff like that. So if you take a company, for instance, you've got two separate parts of management. You've got the hard management, which is like how to organize things, how to deal with the company, how to use your time efficiently and stuff like that. And then you've got the soft skills, which is how to deal emotionally with somebody that is stressed out or how do you do a public talk or how do you deal an effective brainstorm session or how do you become creative and stuff like that. So I work in a company and uh, in my time uh, apart, but with that company, we're called Next Level Training. And basically what we do is uh, we have a mixture of uh, business, engineering and improv i know that sounds weird but all the partners of that company so when they started it out they all did like the best business and engineering schools in france and then for some reason they decided to do theater school and do improv and afterwards they were like hmm, well a lot of improv can actually be adapted to engineering and to management and a lot of management can be adapted to improv so why don't we mix both and that's what we do uh, we so we intervene with uh, in companies and schools uh, and stuff like that to talk about various different soft skills problems and we deal with them through improv and through psychology. So I'm really I'm really curious just quickly like obviously you've you've identified this overlap between improv and and engineering and but would you be able to go in a little bit more depth of of sort of what sort of levels and crossovers there are because I know that for some people. It might seem obvious, but for, for certain people like me, perhaps not seeing the, the how a performance related skill can actually impact something in that way. Yeah, de definitely. And thank you for asking me this question, because I know since I'm in the subject, I know that sometimes things are just like popping to my mind and I'm not aware of that. So uh, if, if you think about that, um, l let's take it a step back. What we learn academically, this is the case in France, but I truly think it's the case like in general, in different, I, I've studied through the English program, so I know it's the same thing there. But basically, all our studies are focused on hard skills. So math, physics, uh, science, psychology, uh, philosophy, whatever. But they're all hard skills. So notes, we get grades, we get stuff like that. However, there is a large thing which, for some reason, the society thinks that people can just come up with it and just improvise it out which is like how do you when you're going to do an oral for example how do you prepare yourself how do you speak how do you become confident when you're speaking with the person and it's amazing and it's sort of a little sad because we get people who have a really great potential academically wise like in a certain subject they they can become great thinkers and stuff like that but 
just because the society assumes that if you don't know how to speak well, well, it's your fault and we're not going to teach you how, well, they get lagged away. And on the other side, you get people who don't deserve any light, <laughs> like who have no idea whatsoever to share, but they're good speakers. And so they get all the light. And that's sad because soft skills, so the way to speak and stuff like that can all be practiced. And how do you practice it? Through theater and through improv. So where are the connections? Uh, I'll sort of separate them between the theater things and the improv things because it's slightly two different psychologies, states of minds. So in theater, there is something that is extremely important that we learn about is empathy. So when you perform a play, first thing you do is you play a character. Now that, that seems simple, but playing a character means understanding to the deepest emotional level a person, even if that person is the worst a-hole ever in the world. Like, that's basically it. You're going to understand it. Once you learn to do that in your relations, in work or in your personal life, you become more, um, you have a step back regarding what a person tells. For example, if somebody says something and you think it's ridiculous or you feel hurt or whatever, you don't directly start insulting them. You think, oh, maybe there was a problem in communication. And maybe he didn't mean anything bad by it. That, that's what I mean. So we just get that wider perspective on, on things. We take that step back, open up and, and see things in a different way. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you sort of try and accept people and understand people. Uh, so that's theater. Uh, and also, uh, normally you learn about projecting, projecting your voice, how not to turn your back to people, how to look at people and stuff like that, which are crucial skills whenever you're teaching or stuff like that. And if you think about it, we are most of the time in our lives, now this has been calculating, 80% of our lives pass it through communication. Like 80% of our time throughout our life, we communicate with some way or another. But we've never learned to do that at school, which is insane. Like we've never learned how to do 80% of our life. And if you think about it, a teacher teaching at school, uh, you buying uh, a baguette from, <laughs> from a pastry shop, uh, you just talking and brainstorming with friends, all these situations are actually exactly the same as a comedian on stage. You're on stage. So the exact same rules apply, how to predict your force, how to gain interest in people, how to know when to put low attention and high attention, how people will lose your, uh, will, you will lose people's attention after 45 seconds approximately. And so you have to deal with humor and stuff like that to compensate. So that's the theater part. The improv is more of a uh, creativity, thinking on the spot and accepting resilience, I would say. The first rule, the golden rule in improv is yes and. That's an international rule. The yes and, simple. If you think about it, I don't know whether you've seen an improv uh, show or not, but when you go and see a comedy improv show, basically what you have is you have people with no uh, stage lights or stage directions, stuff like that. You don't even have a decor or something like that. Just people acting stuff. So let's say, for example, me and Aiden are, are acting something as an improv. And so I come here and I'm like, Ooh, Aiden, honey, could you take the uh, could you take the uh, glass of water from the table and bring it to me? And if he goes, well, there isn't a table. That's the fridge. This cannot work. That's plain and simple. People will see a glass of water and then they're like, wait, 
wait, is there a God, is there a table or isn't there a table? So you can't neglect an idea when it's been proposed, even if you hate that idea. And that's why it's the rule number one. Like you sometimes have to play with people and you're like, oh, this is so silly. I hate this improv, but you have to accept them. Otherwise, the improv will not work and it'll be messy and stuff like that. So let's adapt that to engineering and management. Whenever you have a creativity lesson, for example, most of the time, we're not efficient. Why? We think we're throwing ideas and we're brainstorming together. But what's really happening, if you analyze it, is people are throwing ideas in parallel, not constructing together. So somebody might say, for example, I don't know, let's say the problem is how to repair the car. So what if the first guy says, ooh, I have a wrench, but it's not that good. Maybe we can try and fix it. And another guy says, oh, what about we, we go try and talk to my friend? He's, a, he's good with cars. And another one says, oh, you know what? I can write a code to do that. That seems like brainstorming, but it's not, it's not efficient. Each one of the persons is going his own direction and it's going near, nowhere. But if we take into consideration improv, let's say the first people talked about his wrench. The second one then says, oh, yeah. The wrench is excellent. And you know what? I have a friend which is really good with cars. He might take a look at the wrench and try to see how we can adapt it to that thing. And another one might say, you know what? I'm really good with computers. And I think a, a program which will uh, sort of simulate your wrench in order to send it to my friend, uh, that will make things much easier and stuff like that. And do you see how from the same different directions, you're constructing something together? And so basically, this is the essence of improv. That makes complete sense. Complete sense. It goes to what we were something uh, something that we were saying just a few episodes ago about that community and working together and co-elevating together rather than just doing what we do or just just spiraling out of control. Definitely. But I I, I do want to spend a few minutes and actually start now connecting these dots to these skills, these foundational skills that that into sort of the magic and the mentalism world. So. Uh, perhaps we'll start with improv because that's what we're what we're discussing at the minute. But what do you think the biggest way in which we can apply improv to to our magic or our mentalism is? Like, what's the biggest correlate between them? Okay, so we'll start with improv, uh, and then there are other things for theatre. Improv for me, uh, there is a huge thing which has really changed my life when I've applied improv to mentalism is dealing with hecklers. It's something simple, uh, but uh, most of the time. There are basically two major concepts that I feel are happening with magicians. When, for example, you you talk with somebody and, I don't know, you get a heckler saying something ridiculous or messing about or stuff like that, you either have, most of the time for most people, you either have prepared lines. So, for example, Peter Turner has excellent lines to deal with the, oh, what am I thinking about uh, people? Other magicians have their own lines. Or we sort of stumble or we shut them off or we uh i've seen magicians i've seen french mentalists like literally insult their public back because they insulted them i'm like you can't do that you just can't do that so um the first thing that i've managed to apply improv to uh, mentalism and i'll illustrate that with a story just to show you what i mean is what if we accept the heckler think about it that might sound weird but let's go with the same direction with the answer yes hand like bear with me a little bit i know this might sound furiously aggravating for some people like no i want to kill him i want to throw him out of state but just accept him just accept him for one second what if we accept him and what if we take his idea and take it to the extreme if we do that so 
let, let, let me take a step back just to make something clear. Why is a heckler a heckler? Like if he was normally participating, we wouldn't call him heckler, right? Somebody taking a card from the deck when you ask him to is not a heckler. He's still participating. A heckler is, if you think about it, somebody saying something out of context, right? That's basically it. Somebody challenging you, which is out of context. Somebody saying something ridiculous, which is out of context. Somebody saying something uh, humiliating or, uh, I don't know, silly, which is out of context. So an out of context idea on its own has no connection. But what if we take his out of idea, con uh, out of context idea, not out of idea context, uh, and then we push it to the extreme? What will happen is that the rest of the spectators will, first of all, see that we're intelligent because we can sort of fly with their ideas. Second of all, we'll all agree on the fact that his idea is completely out of context. And an extreme idea out of context becomes a joke, becomes something humorous. What that will do is that will shut him off, but nicely. So he will not feel humiliated. He will feel beaten, but in a good way, like he will want to follow the show. I know some of you might not want your hecklers to like have a good time, but I want to. Like, let's just give him a good show anyway. Uh, so they, they are, yeah, sorry, let me get my sentence back. If we push that to, to the extreme, it will be humorous. The public will be with us because we've made them laugh and they've understood the connection and everybody will make the connection between their joke, what we're doing, and then we can jump back off. So if we're able to do that, and which is what I do in literally every single show I do, uh, which is not for heckler uh, uh, purposes, but I take a lot of chances and risks and real psychological things in my shows. And I can honestly say like out of the 50 times I've played the butterfly effect, not once, have I had everything go to plan and every single night I have something new and every single night I improvise with it. And I love that. So if we deal with that and we push it to the extreme, then everybody's having a good time. So I'll give you an example uh, of what happened to me. If, uh, if you guys are wrong. Um, that was the first, that was my first stage show. So I was really nervous. I, I was called by some friends of mine over to a business school to do like a, a end of year show. So it was literally my first time on stage. I've been doing close-up, but I've never done stage. So I constructed a huge mentalism show. It wasn't an excellent story, whatever. It was just effects, like, you know, when you start off. But what happened was this. I was performing, my first routine was Desire by Max Maven. So for those that don't know, you know the routine where you ask people to write on billets different uh, countries around the world or different uh, locations where they want to. And the last person writes somewhere he hasn't been to, whereas the other people wrote somewhere where they have been. So you mix the billets and then depending on their writing or whatever, you divine which person wrote what. And then in the end, you divine uh, the destination that the last person wants to go to without ever looking at their billet. So it's a really good effect. So, so I did that. What happened was I was asking people to, to come on stage. And when I said, who wants to come on stage? I had a guy like at the end of the room, jump out of his <laughs> seat and go, me. <laughs> I knew he was a heckler, but I took him. That was a mistake. That was my mistake. So he jumped down. He started jumping and screaming and shouting. Anyway, they sat down. I turned my back. They started writing. What I didn't notice, what I learned after the effect is that he asked every single other person next to him to write Brest, which is the city in France where I live in. That's without an A, by the way. It's not Brest, like the, 
anyway. So that's a different effect in the UK completely. Yeah, that, <laughs> that is, I, I know, it doesn't mean the same thing. Like, I have fun in Brest here anyway. Nope, I'll cut that out. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so all, he asked all of them to write Brest. The last person who had to write somewhere he hasn't been to, he still followed the thing, so he wrote down something else, luckily. So when I then took the bullets back and then I said, oh, you know what, I'm going to uh, read the bullets and then depending on your reactions, I'm going to divine. One of the persons started laughing. Why? Because he knew that every single bullet was burst. So he knew that the whole effect was messed up. When I noticed him that, so first of all, I thought that his reaction was just because of that was him who wrote that. And by chance, it was like it was actually his writing. So I gave it to him. And then the next one I saw, I saw Brest. So I knew that all the five bullets were the same thing. So that's the first improv. I accepted it. Instead of saying, oh, wait, wait, you messed that up. I said, huh, okay, I see what you did there. You're trying to mess me up. So you know what? Here's the thing. Even if you all wrote the same location, you all have different writings. So I know we're not going to be able to play on locations, but we'll play on writings. And for those of you that know the routine, they know that it's not how it works, but I needed something like I needed a story, right? So then I played on writings and it all worked out perfectly. I showed them the writing. I asked them to write things in the air and stuff like that. And it all went perfect. I divined the last person. And then I asked them all to go back to the seats. And then the heckler, the one who screamed, who, who springboarded from, from his seat, um, he went, nope, I didn't write breast. You messed that up. And I was like, well, I have one bill left. All of your friends accepted their billet and it, there's breast on it. And I knew it was that. And he was like, nope, I don't know what you did. You switched my billet. Uh, that's not what I wrote. What am I thinking of? What city am I thinking of? And I was like, okay, so you're either telling me that um, you maybe forgot what you wrote or you're telling me that one of your friends is a liar. Which is one of those. He said, nope, I don't know what you did. I think they're playing along, blah, blah, blah. I think you switched the bullet. You're using an accomplice. I didn't write breast. So this is a very hard situation. It is like the guy does not want to leave state. He's sitting there, does not want to leave state. He's above guy, by the way. So, <laughs> so I, I'm like there, I'm like, what, what can I do? And then I decided to use the yes and. So what I told him, I looked at him and was like, oh, you thought of something else. You know what? I'm so sorry. I, I don't know what happened here. Some, I, I've never had that happen before. You, you know what? I don't want you to leave stage before I can divine that. So I threw away the bullets and I told him, okay, could you focus on your city for a moment? Um, okay, just focus on it. I, I'm sort of struggling. I'll, I'll get back to you. And then I turned my back to him, leaving him on stage. And then I went to the rest of the spectators like, okay, thank you. I hope you like this effect. Now we'll move on to the next one. And I continued the show. As I was continuing, the guy said, well, what about me? And then I turned back to him and I was like, ooh, ooh, um, um, think about, I'm, I'm so sorry, I, I can't define the city. Wait, stay there and I'll get back to you. And I continued. After like two minutes, he just st stood up and then lowered his head and then went back to his seat. That's it. I didn't do anything. And, uh, and then I, when he was leaving, I asked him, you sure you don't want me to divine your city? And it was like, nope, that's fine. And <laughs> he went back to his seat. And then everybody had a blast. So this is just an example um, of how accepting the situation makes you the most uh, powerful man in the situation without ever being like unhumble or uh, lousy or uh, bad or something like that. So there so we go. To, so, so just to quickly recap on that story, the way you used improv was obviously there's the, the effect 
took a different direction and the the presentation that you had planned wasn't clear or was it wasn't going to be the same so you improvised and generated an entire new presentation on the fly and then on top of that there was a complication with the spectator and your way of improvising that was to just fully accept their ideas and just accept that they that that was the game that they were playing and just let them play that game exactly and if you think about that that might sound weird but actually when you accept an idea of a heckler sometimes hecklers are actually more creative than you like let's be honest here sometimes they become so creative so why not take their creative idea and use it to your advantage if you accept their idea their idea becomes part of the show i've had those thoughts the whole time like being flexible and having that flexibility like i think me and aiden have spoken about it like people are often too rigid in their routines and i see a lot of mentalists and magicians both guilty of it will go to a spectator someone will pop up and do something like you've said or something will go wrong and they went oh that didn't quite work let me try something else and it's like what why you could have just adapted and and like what you've said like having that ability to to just improvise on the spot with that beautiful improv and having the flexibility and and thinking to yourself i don't need to be rigid in what i do as long as like the audience has a good time i can i can take this on whatever path i go on whichever route and it's it's an amazing ability uh to to learn and to do but it doesn't take too much work to get your head around that and start getting yourself in that frame of mind does it no, I think the, uh, I, I totally agree. I think the biggest fear, and it actually is a fear, is the fear of going into the unknown. That's basically the fear. And the first thing that you learn in improv is letting go. You learn to let go. You learn to do things you haven't anticipated. Once you've learned that, you don't fear that. I have another example, which is more applicable to all of you guys who do like table to table or close up or stuff like that. How many times have we had as magicians or mentalists, like let's say we have a stacked deck or we prepared something and then somebody asks us, can I shuffle the deck, right? Like this happens a lot. Well, let them shuffle. Like I'm serious and let me give you this, this what happened. The first time I, I, was, I was younger than that. I wasn't into mentalism. I was in card magic at that time. And so I was performing to my friends and then one of, my, one of the people there, he said, no, he did something, let, let me shuffle. And I was like full into a routine and I couldn't stop. And this was the first time I think I accepted to let go, which I couldn't do before. And it's really hard. And I said, you know what? Okay, fine. What do you want me to do? And she was like, wait, what? You're answering me? So she got stumbled by the question. And I was like, yeah, what do you want me to do? And he was like, well, let me shuffle it. And I gave it to him. And so he wasn't anticipating that. He thought that I was going to get mad. But when I gave it to him, he just got the deck. <laughs> That's all he did. And I was like, okay, you're happy now? Do you, do you want me to give it to somebody else? What do you want me to do? He said, uh, do it face up. And I was like, okay, fair enough. Now are you happy? And then he said, yeah. I continued the show. It blew his mind. Why is that? Because I, I truly think that uh, hecklers are not bad people. They're people who haven't had a lot of mystery in their life. Because either they're very intelligent or creative. So most of the things like from old school magic they see, they understand, right? And they've been probably near a magician saying, no, but you're not allowed to, you're not meant to understand my trick or stuff like that. And so it puts them in, in a container where like, oh, 
I wish I can be fooled by something. And they really do. So when they attack you, when they ask you to do something, it's literally just because they want to be impressed by something. And so that guy was my most powerful um, commercial <laughs> ever in the school. Like from that moment, he would get me from friend to friend. And it's like, look at that guy, he's insane. And even when I would mess up, he would say, you know what? No, he's so sorry. Like, it's not how he usually done that. Last time he did something amazing. He never touched the deck and stuff like that. So he was protecting me just because one time I accepted his thing and I went with his rules. So that's what I highly invite you to. I know it's scary. It's hell of a lot scary. But when you do that, you will feel much more free with what your performance and what you're able to give and you'll feel so much better. I can genuinely, genuinely say that is 100% true. And I can give an example. And, and I actually want to disagree with something you've said. Um, if that's all right. Yeah, go ahead. You mentioned there was a beautiful line from Peter Turner where Peter Turner says, oh, if someone uh, says, what am I thinking right down? He just shuts them down and says, blah, 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 blah. I disagree with that line. I think it's silly. I think if someone comes to you and says, what am I thinking right now? You've got this golden opportunity and everything you've said is exactly what I think when someone presents me with that question. What am I thinking of right now? Because they're coming to you they're interested in you and they want you to read their mind and they're presenting a challenge in front of all of their mates and if you can conquer that challenge then you've won this incredible scenario and you've given them exactly what they've wanted even though they know it's going to be hard for you and we as mentalists all have tricks where we go up to someone uh, do me a favor think of something and then you go into a one ahead routine or you say yeah no worries write this down on this impression pad like People shy away from that question because it's exactly what you've said. It's a fear of the unknown. And I, I, Aidan knows I do this all the time. And those people are exactly what you say. They will pick you up. They leave the great reviews. They book you. I've got weddings from this. Bring you to their mates. And like often I found working in the bar, they're the people who give the biggest tips, which is another reason why to accept that challenge. And like literally, <laughs> I've done it to a group of mates. Every single one of them whacked in a £20 note in my tip jar just from accepting that challenge. So... If, uh, if tips like that are uh, coming, then why would you turn down that challenge? But it's so true. Like, learning to improvise is, oh, golden. It's so it's so important. I just want to touch on this as well, because I just want to get into like, the psychology of a group situation a little bit deeper on this, because, I, I, like, again, I resonate and completely agree with everything that Ashley and Tahara have said about handling hecklers. It's It's a golden opportunity to do so many things, and not only does it elevate the way you look to that one spectator but it changes the group dynamic completely and from my own personal perspective having dealt with a heckler once i really like to big it up i don't just do it as a moment i big it especially in close-up i get other groups in i think yes this is great can we get some more people to watch this because i i've made the connection i think right i know how i'm going to handle this this is a bulletproof approach let's give it a go and we bring the group and we make it so much better because then every single person in that room, at that venue, at that show, in your audience, every single person is on your side at that point. Because if you can handle this one person that is so against, not against in the sense that they don't like what you're doing, but against in terms of they're trying to challenge you, they, they actually want you to succeed. And this is the important thing. Everybody wants, like, your spectator. You don't want hecklers or anything like that. But I've personally found that the best moments from my entire show 
come from those hecklers, come from those people that when they're brought up on stage, they make their own jokes and you have to give them that moment to shine. You just have to, because if you don't, you're just reciting a script and like people watch TV for that. Theatre is something that you can immerse yourselves in and even magic up close and mentalism up close. Give your opportunities to away, give them to somebody else. This might not be your character, but if you don't think that's your character, we have Ashley Green who, who fuels himself off of being this fantastic persona. And he is telling you as well to give it to your audience. Let your audience have these moments because the payoff is so much bigger from a group perspective. Uh, and I, I just wanted to make that incredibly clear. Yeah. And can I ask you both a question? Sorry to cut you off then, but isn't it fun dealing with those situations as well, right? Oh, the best. The best. I have more fun dealing with those kind of people than anybody else because everybody else, they're kind of accepting of what's going on and they're, they're in the game. I'd say that they're at sort of like N plus one. If we're going to put it as like a big scale, it's like everyone's not, they're not neutral. I mean, some partners that are attending shows and things, they might just be like, okay, yeah, cool. We're just watching a show. But realistically, they're all just above that because they're just paid. They'll have left if they're not interested. But these, these, these spectators, these hecklers, these people that are trying to challenge you because they want to see you do something even more impressive and see you do well like they're on a whole new level this is the biggest takeaway from like so far just in this conversation for for me it's the importance of being able to improvise and, and think on the fly and an improv doesn't need to be as scary as it sounds i know you've you've mentioned this to her it's like quite a scary thing but can i give an advice for people like who aren't aware of that uh, so yes we do practice improv regularly and we train and stuff but the first thing, if you have a heckler, uh, I'll, I'll give you, like, to you who's listening right now, try this out. Let's say I ask you right now to think of something that, if we were to meet in person, would blow me away. I know you don't know me, I don't know, we haven't met, but just think of what would you show me to blow me away. Now, this might scare you. If you start thinking about it right now, you're either not listening or not thinking about it. Or if you're thinking about that, your mind might be wondering about everywhere. Oh my God, what am I going to show? Oh, maybe he knows this or maybe he knows that. Now, let me ask you the question again. And while you're listening, you're just going to answer a big yes. Yes, I can. And so I'm going to ask you again, can you blow me away with something from your repertoire and just say yes? And you'll notice that just by saying yes, you have this sort of rush of adrenaline and your heart beats like when you say yes, you go, your mind focuses and you have clear ideas in your mind. And that's basically all it takes. Everything is scary up to the point when you say yes. As soon as you say yes, as soon as you accept it, when you have a heckler, when I have a heckler or I improvise, don't you think that I know what I'm going to do? Like I have no idea what technique what myth i have no, and i think it's the same for you ashley and aiden right like we have no idea but just tell them you want me to do that sure you want me to fly fine you want me to fine just say it and you'll see that your mind will work its way around the obstacles if you do not accept it if you do not outright say yes i will you won't get anywhere so true that's so true there's so many factors at play you touched on like psychologically just being able to say yes and and if you get nervous and you get like panic mode or you get really really nervous and like you're freezing a little bit that's a good sign because i'm sure we've spoken about this before but that like nervousness is literally just excitement with a negative connotation 
I first learned this from Eric Edmead, it's it's physiologically they're identical uh, situations. It's just the mindset that we have on them. And by saying yes to a heckler, to something absolutely outlandish, you can send, then sort of fire yourself into this position of I need to I need to work this out. I've got to find a I've got to handle this situation that I've agreed to now. And fun fact, like I've found personally, I don't know whether it's the same for you guys, but nine times out of 10, I can bend their like infringements and bend their rules to suit me. Like they, they come up with one rule. I can kind of play on it and bat them into a field that I'm already comfortable with. And in that case, I don't need to stretch myself. I just do something different. It's really important that if you're, if you're really nervous about this, just, 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 give it a go i mean what's the worst that could happen what really what's the worst that could happen you, you something flops for that one heckler but you then proceed to blow the minds of everybody else that you're with everybody's going to accept that okay the, the heckler was being out of place they they challenged you that was unfair and and it's weird because we get this beautiful group dynamic that when you get heckled the audience is behind you in a, and when you when you deal with this heckler the entire audience is behind you even more but when you don't deal with a heckler in, in terms of you try and do something and it doesn't work, your audience is still behind you because it was the heckler's fault and the hecklers put you out of place. So I, I think it's a really beautiful dynamic that we really need to sort of play on a little bit more to that to that degree. I totally agree. I think you, you've all said it here. And if you guys want to take it a step further, I highly suggest you take a look into the psychology, psychological principle, which is called the strategy of allies. Uh, which is a method which has been developed basically to, um, I don't know whether you've seen, uh, it's a very old play, which have been, has been turned into a movie, uh, 12 Angry Men. Uh, so it's, it's a movie where maybe it might be French, but it's a very famous play. And I highly suggest you take a look at that because you learn so much about dealing with groups dynamics. Basically all it is, is a real life movie. So it's a real life play where you get 12 juries. Oh, no, it's actually American. Why, why am I saying French? No, it's American. Uh, so you get you get 12 jury members all coming after a uh, uh, a child, an 18-year-old boy, has been sentenced to death because he killed his father. He's been found guilty and stuff like that. So the jury are deliberating together, and they have one hour to come out whether he's guilty or not. So I won't spoil you the movie, but what happens is 11 of them say he's definitely guilty one of them raises his hand and then says it might be that it might not be that easy and then you see during the movie how one by one he turns every single person's conviction to all of them being uh in accord with him so i think you learned so so much from that so check that out it's called 12 angry men that's fascinating that's so important to, to to just be aware of and again I'm, I'm going to put a link to to this in the show notes so that everybody can click and have a little do a little bit of research and, and find out all of that information you can actually watch it for free on, in the archives since it's a 1960s movie it's in black and white and it's free in the archives like legally so I'll, I'll send you a link and then people can watch it at home oh beautiful honestly like taha you are the gift that keeps on giving and there's nothing like a free tsm bonus for you guys like honestly your deeper thoughts and your way of thinking i i am genuinely so glad this podcast went in the direction it went to today and like i said that way of thinking is just insane and it's it's the reason why you're actually lecturing for us at the end of this month in the all about the tricks <laughs> 
lecture like you're teaching a revolutionary system like something i'm going to be honest the subject in which you're talking about i hate aiden hates and i know you hate it as well <laughs> yeah but that's Definitely. literally why you're teaching it you are yeah. you are doing something which is no one has done uh done it like this before and anyway i'm gonna shut up if you guys uh, listening to this want to actually check out tahar's all about the tricks lecture head over to our website search all about the tricks you'll see all the details from there but i want to ask you a question yeah go ahead and i ask it to every single guest and please be honest and please be as brutal as possible are you ready <clears throat> yeah go ahead yes. i don't think you're ready i don't think you're ready for this he's not ready are you sure yeah yeah go ahead no. i won't say no i'm an improviser <laughs> as a magician as a mentalist and as a borderline genius what do you hate about mentalism <laughs> awesome okay um so do you do you mean mentalism as a concept or mentalists like as people let's do both both awesome okay so um mentalism as a concept the first thing that pops into mind is the fact that no one on this earth has a bloody idea what it actually is <laughs> from we thought that with the mentalist series which i absolutely love people will understand but no it confused people even way more like every time i talk with somebody wh whether it's magicians mentalists themselves psychics people laymen laymen who see psychics, laymen who don't see psychics, they have no idea what a mentalist is. And I think there are as many mentalists as there are mentalists <laughs> on earth. Like some people call it psychic, some people call it psychic but real, some people call it real, some people call it hypnosis, some people, and it's just confusing. So th that's the first thing. And I think there is a another negative side from the fact that it's confusing is that it's sort of attractive. It's easily attractive. And so it has a lot and a ton of bad uh, reputation because so many people use the word without understanding or without having plunged into it. Like how many magicians nowadays do you see on their card? Magician, mentalist and hypnosis. Like everybody just places that word and they have no idea. And you ask them what they do in mentalism. They're like, oh yeah, you know, I have an electrical diet. And I'm like, and that's serious. I have literally asked somebody, I was like, hey, you do mentalism, what do you do? And I was like, I have an electronic diet. And I was like, that's not, <clears throat> what about psychology? What about people? What about, anyway, so yeah, that's what I hate about it is that it's a word which means so many things. And most of the things it means is sort of has a bad connotation to it. Yeah, I, I would say that um and mentalists this is a big one because it's what you hate about our audience now <laughs> no pressure i know i know i know i don't any anything you say uh, we're going to extract and chuck straight in version 2.0 of the boring mentalism lecture yeah fair, fair enough um i'm okay so i'm going to be very steady here and <laughs> use my words very okay um I am going to say I have not traveled everywhere around the world, so I have not met all mentalists, but I can say from the French mentalists that I have seen, most of them are lazy as hell. And I really think that mentalists in general are very lazy. And let me say one before I get attacked and bombarded by tomatoes. <laughs> so um, why I think is that because we have magic which by essence is also a lazy art. And I am going to say that. 
I think it's a big disadvantage for us because we get people like I am really tired of all these Instagram and Facebook and stuff, which are like sort of fake magic science experiments. Do you see what I mean? Like the experiments where I'm like, oh, you know what? If I write a cross here on that piece of paper and I put two batteries and stuff like that, the thing will float and you can try that at home. Whereas he's just losing like invisible thread. I just hate that. Why? Because you're teaching wrong things to people. People are, are sort of thinking that they're learning something from bad stuff like that. And also there is something that is specific to magic, which I have not found, and I have researched, I've not found any other art which has the same negative uh, specificity, which is you can get good reactions with zero practice. And that is the only art that you can do that. You can literally go to a shop, buy something that works on its own, and get, it won't be the best. I'm not saying it'll be the best reactions. Of course, we all tell you that, yeah, when you buy something, you have to make it your own and stuff. But at the same time, when you buy something and you do it, people will be impressed because the artistic side of that has been done by somebody else and you've just sold it. For me, it's the same thing of just buying, you know, those uh, coloring books where you have different numbers and you just have to color in the different, well, you get amazing uh, paintings. But like you can just put a painting up your wall and people will be impressed. But if they zoom in, they'll notice that you just call it fill, filled in the blanks, right? That's the same thing with magic. And I truly think that is a big problem. Like I, I remember I went to a group once and I was discussing with somebody who I, I didn't discuss with him. He, it was in a magic shop in France. The guy came, he's a professional, like he's a working professional. The guy goes to the uh, guy in the magic shop. He's like, you know what? I have a uh, wedding in one hour. What do you propose me that you have new? And so I can try it out on them. And I'm like, you can't just, he, he literally said those words. What new do you have that is powerful and that's easy to perform because I have a wedding in an hour. And that's a working professional. He's been working like from decades. And I'm like, that's why I'm saying we're lazy. It's the only art where we're not, we don't need to work in order to get reactions. So most of us just don't do it. The problem is, is that even if the effect itself might be interesting, our persona, our character is lazy and therefore will be seen as lazy. And that's what most magicians do not understand. And with mentalism, it's even worse. Since a lot of people are superstitious, since many people sort of believe and since there is this sort of gray area to what mentalism is, as soon as you read minds or you use an electronic thing or stuff, it makes things even more easier to get reactions from people. And I truly think, same thing with hypnosis, I truly think that this laziness is causing us a backing and just, we're not advancing the science. Like, our cars work very well today and our technology works well. That does not mean that we need to stop evolving technology and science and stuff because otherwise we'll be backed up by whatever else is happening around us. And so, yeah, that's really what I hate about magicians and mentalists is that most of the time we're lazy. And sometimes I am too. Like sometimes I, I do admit it. I just won't, I, I become in a state where, and I think we, we all, maybe not all of us, but I think most of us do is that sometimes we're just like, oh, what easy do I have now that I can perform anytime? Like we all have that reaction. And I think it's truly bad. Like I, I'm really, I'm working hard to stop doing that. I, I've stopped it, luckily. 
I hope <laughs> for now. <laughs> but like, I really think that's the major problem with magicians and mentalists. What? I mean, that's powerful stuff. I mean, I completely agree with all of those points. I think there's a a, a certain a certain element of that that everybody can admit to themselves because you know you don't need to admit outwardly that you're lazy to all other performers and all all of your audiences. You don't need to say that publicly, but I think for the most part, that awareness, just being aware that this might be an easy option, and I don't think personally i don't think easy is always bad but in the context that you've given like that easy decision also comes with a lack of a lack of deeper thinking and a lack of something else but but that simple awareness that will shift everything and and i really i completely agree with that i mean we're now a very long time into this this episode i haven't got a clock on me i don't know whether we were half an hour five hours it's felt like an amazing conversation taha thank you so much for sharing all of this information it's absolute gold and i know that i'm going to be listening back to this podcast at least twice to really soak all of the information in but is there a, where can people find you is there anything else that you want to share and, and and plug or do anything like that where can people find you oh okay so yeah by, by the way it's been a pleasure sharing all of this and it doesn't mean much to me but like i really hope it helped people and stuff like that uh if you want to find me so i'm very active on most of the time <laughs> on facebook so you can find me on my artist page tahamen mentalism but with an e in the end for french and you can just contact me by facebook if you have any questions or stuff like that and i'll happily answer you um apart from that uh trainings and hopefully redoing my show in in paris soon so yeah and if if you want to see uh sort of the things that i do i i really want to mix something and what i do with my shows is mix theater and mentalism and something i've explored so i know it's not up to date yet and i'm working on my next show to make it even better but i have uploaded a full show on my youtube uh youtube account page thingy youtube thingy um where it's a full 30 minute show i did at a school once an engineering school where i sort of explored a new direction which i which i don't think has been explored before it's a one-man dramatic piece of theater but with mentalism effects in it so it's a really dramatic piece of play, I would say, one man, but it has uh, effects on it. So if you want to see it, it's in French, but there are English subtitles everywhere. So if you want to watch that and contact me, and if you have any questions, please feel free. Beautiful. And of course, if they uh, if they enjoyed this and they need to check out your lecture and buy the digital download, uh, multiple paths. So uh, if anyone's interested in that, just literally drop us a message, the successful mentalist at gmail.com. But honestly, thank you so much for coming on and thank you for being so open, so honest and just sharing this wealth of interesting and fascinating stuff, which I know our audiences are going to take away. They're going to love and they'll be able to implement this and uh, and change the way they perform magic and mentalism and as we say on the website a rising tide raises all the boats it's been a pleasure thank you so much guys it's really been fun you take care man thank you <laughs> bye-bye take care hey it's aiden here i hope you enjoyed this episode if you did it would really mean the world to us if you just took a moment to leave a rating and a review on your preferred podcast player that way it just helps us grow the show and get it into the ears of more listeners across the world in a non-creepy way also, when you're ready to roll, here are three ways that we can help you right now. 
Number one is to join our free Facebook group. It's called the Magician's Business Group, and we're creating the most valuable space on the internet for entertainers that are looking to grow and improve their business. We'd love you to join us inside. So to do that, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash group, and the magic of the internet will take you straight there. Or just pull open Facebook and search for the Magician's Business Group. Number two is to take our new quiz. It'll help you find the biggest opportunity in your entertainment business right now. And in just a few quick questions, you'll be presented with a seven minute breakdown of your biggest opportunity and how you can actually go about tackling that to help increase your entertainment business and boost it completely. In order to take the quiz, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash quiz. That's thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash quiz. And we'll be able to get you your results. Number three, momentum. If you'd like to make an extra two grand a month in magic without paying a penny for advertising, we'd love to help you. Our latest coaching program, Momentum, is designed to get you booking gigs every single week for at least £500 so that you can be growing your entertainment business without having to worry about websites or business cards or advertising or any of that kind of stuff. To find out more, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash momentum. That's thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash momentum, and we'll send you all of the details.